You are tuning into Pro Bono Perspectives, live from Brooklyn, where the city never sleeps and purpose is more than just a buzzword. Pro Bono Perspectives brings together leaders that have traveled across sectors, industries, and experiences on their path to creating change for the communities in which they live and work. And I'm your host, Danielle Holly, CEO of Common Impact, a national nonprofit that designs skills-based volunteer programs that amplify the impact of social change organizations by harnessing the talents and the skills of private sector employees. I am lucky enough to cross paths with these leaders every day through my work with Common Impact and can't wait to bring you behind the scenes to share their stories. Today, I'm joined by Shalu Umapathy, who is the managing director of New Ventures at IDEO.org, which is the nonprofit arm of IDEO, which many of us have heard of, one of the pioneering innovation and design firms. IDEO.org is committed to creating a more just and inclusive world by designing and scaling people-first products and services and partnering with organizations to pioneer new ways of working, building tools that help millions learn and practice human-centered design, which we'll hear a little bit more about today. Through her work, Shalu gets both a bird's-eye view and an up-close look, such a cool job and role, at IDEO's fascinating collaborations and partnerships. Today, she'll share a little bit more about what innovation means in the nonprofit sector right now as so many nonprofits are being pushed and pushed and pushed to innovate, how to make innovation stick over the long term in this concept of moving from innovating for to innovating with to uplifting and strengthening the innovation of others. And then finally, how her team thinks about innovation and their work as a path towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. Welcome, Shalu, to the show. So excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. So IDEO.org is the nonprofit arm of the very popular innovation firm, IDEO.com. Tell us what that means what the organization does, human-centered design. Give us a little context on your work. Sure. Yeah. So IDEO has been around for 40 plus years and kind of coined the the entire space of design thinking and human-centered design. And IDEO.org spun out about nine years ago uh, with the kind of sole purpose of using design thinking for the social sector. And so our Our mission statement is to design a more just and equitable world. And so many times that means that you'll find our work both in the U.S. as well as internationally looking at um, understanding the root cause and needs of different population groups and really trying to elevate voices and design solutions in partnership with communities. Tell us about how you personally got there. I know you've had a really diverse career. You've been in the private sector. You've worked at financial inclusion, global health, agriculture, mobile technologies. The list is long um, <laughs> and really globally. And I imagine being within that many contexts and industries has helped you with design thinking, right? With thinking about how different solutions are going to work within different contexts. But tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you got to IDEO today. Yeah, sure. So it's kind of 
I think a story of many twists and turns and uh, <laughs> I think maybe the impatient optimist within shining through hopefully. Um, but yeah, I started off my career in advertising uh, really on the kind of marketing analytics side of things. And so was doing that for a while. And then the tsunami hit in 2004, which really kind of made me pause for a second and say, what, what exactly am I doing? What's my role? What's my purpose? Um, and on a whim kind of applied to a fellowship program in India that, um, and was selected to it. So basically 20 individuals from the U S get matched with nonprofits across India and you're placed there for a full year. And so for me, it was this tremendous time of going to my family's hometown in Chennai in India, um, but seeing a very different side of the community there and spending time in fishing villages and trying to think about what is rehabilitation after a devastating event like a tsunami actually look like um, and really cemented my passion for kind of putting the lives of others um, at the forefront of my career. And so that was like, I think, a big flip in my mind that it doesn't have to be volunteering all the time. It can actually be a job. So um, after doing that, I went to business school. I was really curious about scalable modes of uh, doing international like social sector work and um, did kind of strategy consulting for a little bit, but really found that I wasn't getting closer to kind of this, this longer term passion area. So went and joined um, a company called Apt Associates in, in the DC area. They're focused on kind of USAID large scale multi-year programs and was able to do work um, on in the health space, but using kind of a private sector lens. So imagine kind of bringing business strategy to a nonprofit. How do you how do you remain viable and not always dependent on philanthropic uh, support when you're a health clinic, for example? And that was really, you know, learned a ton, got exposed to maybe seven or eight countries in Africa within a few years. So I had never had that type of experience before. And then um, I think I, it was just kind of a moment of that I was ready for change. And uh, I saw IDEO.org had a fellowship program to basically bring in people who are new to design, train them up, and then send them back to do great work in the social sector. So I applied and was accepted into that program. And with five others or four others, I don't remember how many of us were there, but uh, basically just jumped in, did a bunch of projects right off the bat. And I was a business designer on those projects. and. Um, since then have gone on to kind of lead a lot of our work, not only in the agriculture and financial inclusion spaces, been doing a lot around digital financial services. So how do we make, if so much of the future finance world sits on mobile phones, how do we make that approachable and engaging for end users? Um, and then now starting to look at new, new modes of collaboration and what should be on the horizon for innovation in the space. And so I've been spending a lot of time with a part of IDEO called the CoLab, which is about collaborative innovation and trying to bring together stakeholders to solve really systems level challenges. And um, yeah, so there's been all, a whole bunch of stuff that I've worked on Then I'm very grateful for, for each of these twists and turns because they've, they've taught me more, you know, more and more. And I'm, I'm very appreciative about that. Yeah. Well, and it's always so many of the folks that we talk to on this podcast, you know, the center of gravity, the general characteristics of the folks that are on this podcast are folks that have been in very different industries and sectors and have mm. 
cross-sector work and just that muscle on how to work in those different environments. And so often what they say is, well, it wasn't intentional. (laughs) This is, Mm -hmm. I I didn't choose A, B, and C, but just started to find a passion and a calling and uh, very similar to what you just described is, you know, putting people at the center of your work or at the, as the primary purpose of your career, it doesn't have to be a side gig. It doesn't have to be volunteerism or philanthropy at an individual level. It can, you can make a career out of it. So it really resonates. I would love to talk about innovation in the nonprofit sector. You know, right now I have heard probably more than any time in my career in the nonprofit sector, which isn't super long, but you know, more than a decade. And I'm hearing pressure for nonprofits to innovate, to redesign, to rethink the way that they've been doing their work. I think that's, of course, really natural in this wild environment that we're operating within right now, right? Where Mm. we've had, we've all had to pivot individually and professionally really quickly. Curious what and I always think about the nonprofit sector as naturally innovative because they've had to be, right? Like when you're working in such a resource constrained environment, you have no choice but to be creative and thoughtful and innovative with the way that you deliver these really critical services. But being innovative as a culture is different than being really intentionally innovative, which I, my understanding is that's really a lot of what IDEO.org does, right? Like you, you thinking very intentionally about how to redesign and pivot organizations. So it would be curious what that has looked like for you in this current moment where we are all being forced to innovate. And um, also maybe sharing a project or two to give our listeners a real example of what this looks like on the ground. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, these times have been really uh, trying for many nonprofit organizations, especially those that are providing services deep within communities, um, those who may not have platforms or connections to a diverse set of funders um, to be able to ask for what they need. And I think that there's like, so there's that thread of kind of this, the reaction, the natural innovation that sits within these organizations and communities. Um, and how, you know, the work continues, even if they are mostly remote, even if um, the, you know, bandwidth is never there, right? It's like there's, th- these are organizations that continue to find ways of providing services to their communities. And that's so inspiring to, to me and to our organization. IDEO.org, we've been doing a lot of kind of internal inquiry in, you know, in a moment of racial reckoning, in a moment of post-colonialist type of approaches, what's our role in innovation? And is it to be designing for, uh, which I think is something we used to say many years ago, and then more recently we've been saying design with, or do we design at all? And our role is around uplifting others who already have many of the answers. Yeah. It's it's a juicy question because it's it, you know it's it's this place that we're we're certainly kind of digging in ourselves to kind of say what is our role in this effort to shift power? What's our role in being a platform to elevate the voices of others who don't have such platforms? So I think that's I don't know if it's exactly an answer, but to me innovation is changing and it's it's like in in a in a moment of being a chameleon and and we're in it. Yeah, absolutely. What you're talking about is 
really topical. It's what a lot of organizations, particularly companies and philanthropy are, are pivoting to, right? The, the idea mm -hmm. that, uh, the providers or the suppliers have the answers and they're giving it to the beneficiaries, the nonprofits, the communities they serve. And that is something that I've been in a lot of conversation with folks about. I know is a real a theme in terms of how we're thinking about engaging with each other and with communities. Mm -hmm. I'm curious mm -hmm. what that looks like, right? Like aside from just the narrative and moving to more of a partnership and a lifting from the designing for to designing with to actually just being a part of lifting up and codifying what already exists. How has that changed your work or how would you anticipate that changing your work in terms of like the brass tacks of when you get down around a right now virtual, I'm sure table with your partners, what does that actually change? Yeah, I can give an example of something that we're working on right now. And again, it's kind of still very early stages and in its nascency, but there's a program that we have called the Billion Girls Collab, which is anchored on the premise that in 2030, there's going to be a billion adolescent girls on the planet. And if we're not designing for their futures in terms of their health, their connection, their ability to earn income, that there's a huge risk of missing out on an entire generation that can drive the prosperity of many countries. Um, and so as we've been kind of building this portfolio of work, one of the one of the kind of premise concepts for this platform that we're thinking about is how do we put the girl in the driver's seat? How do we, and so there are different, we still haven't figured out exactly how to do it because we're, we're kind of going to do our first sprint in a, in a couple of weeks, but thinking about um, when we do research, how do we have the research be directed by girls? When we are coming up with concepts, how do we have the prioritization exercise be led by girls? When we're investing our time and our resources and our energy, how are we shifting the power that may have sat with funders who might have predetermined what those criteria were and create a new set of criteria um, around investments? So I think. And there, there are people in the space who've been doing this for a while. And so I think we're really looking to learn from them. But this idea that um, the there is extreme knowledge, vision, innovation that sits deep within communities, especially with girls and with grassroots organizations, and that our responsibility is to elevate those and support those and help, help them get tangible, for example, through prototypes. But that's kind of the vision of how, how we're trying to make it happen. And it's going to we're going to be spending the next year on it. So it's going to start, you'll start seeing inklings of it in the coming months. That's really exciting. All right. Wonderful. Well, we'll stay tuned for that. And then yeah, you know, back to that question around innovation in the nonprofit sector and almost um, over indexing on the narrative of that, right? Uh, the, the headlines around how much nonprofits need to innovate, 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 innovate. How do you guide organizations or how do you think about being thoughtful about innovation and not uh, enabling nonprofits to move past their core mission or to just follow the mm. next cool thing, especially when they have such limited resources? How, I mean, how do you, do you see that tension at all in your work or is that just mostly in the narrative outside of it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we can very quickly tease out the difference between an organization that like wants to innovate to innovate. And oftentimes when a nonprofit's saying that, it's because they're hearing that from a funder. So I think there's part of the problem is in just like the set the setup of the ecosystem, right? That um, there there's an expectation that's being created that innovation is the answer for everything, which I and IDEO.org, we don't believe that that's true. Um, but I think what we like to start with is kind of thinking about what is the impact and the outcome that you seek to achieve? And what is, how is that different from what you have ahead of you right now? What are the barriers that are keeping your organization from achieving that future state? Um, what have you tried and what have you learned from others? What are you inspired by that's completely outside of your sector? And then starting to really understand what are, what are the core competencies and skills that your team has so that as you think about that future vision, what are the shifts you need to take as an organization to be able to take on? So many times we see, you know, service oriented, um, nonprofits that are trying to add a digital platform to their services. And that's their, that's like the step of innovation that they want to take. Right. And one of the first questions are that we have is who's, who's going to be the owner of this technology on your team because you've never had it before. And yes, a funder is ready to fund you to build this platform, but have they funded this, the salary of the person that's going to have to own it later on? Because that's just as important as the app being developed, right? So I think we take a lot of time to really think about what is the innovation that makes the most sense right now? Um, what, what's the right platform for it? Does your team have the skills for it? And then how do we do it in a way that it's, it's not that, you know, we're, we're going to do a design project by ourselves and just hand it over, but that we're working really side by side. So your, your team is learning how to really do the design process and are able to do it on your own later on and, and you don't need us to come back, right? That's a, that's a great success. Right, right. Well, it's so similar to the work and the approach that Common Impact takes when we're, our core model is to connect teams of corporate employees in skilled volunteer mm -hmm. engagement to build the capacity of nonprofits, whether that's a strategic plan or a database. And that, what you just hit on is the make or break of those programs being successful because corporate teams mm. can come in and they can design fancy new tools and you know 40 page strategic plans but those tools will gather dust unless we're thinking about what it takes to maintain them and roll them out and to sustain the organizations that don't have usually don't have the funding or the staffing to just add another thing to mm -hmm. their plate um in order to bring it forward, even if it ultimately will save them time, right? That moment of rollout and adoption is so important. So it's great to hear how thoughtful you all are about that. Yeah, totally. And speaking of you all being thoughtful, I, I know that a few years ago, the .org side of your work reflected on the makeup of its staff and board, realizing it wasn't reflecting the diversity of the workforce and the communities that you serve and you committed to making DEI a priority and would love to, clearly that's something that a lot of organizations are thinking really deeply about right now. We certainly come and impact our, and curious what that has looked like behind the scenes and what the process was to become a more inclusive organization, knowing that, you know, it's, it's always a journey. 
Yeah, certainly. It it continues to be a journey for us. I think so. We've done a few th- few different things. I think like in our uh, talent and um, kind of hiring processes, really thought about shifting some of the assumptions around what skills and experience look like, and how do we elevate the value of lived experience to the same, if not more, um, than other kind of uh, experiences that people have had, whether it's academic or work experience related. So I think for us, it's like the more connected our team can be to the entrenched problems that we are working on, the better our work can be and the more that we can actually kind of push push the sector, push our partners to be thinking about what 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 true solutions look like. So I think that that's meant that we're really open to a broader profile of um, team members than we would have been previously. We're also looking at uh, our process, which I kind of alluded to before, but just thinking about what it, what is the role of human-centered design? How do we make sure that we're actually um, giving back in every moment of connection that we have with communities and really taking a deep look at you know, when we do research, how do we make sure that it feels like we're creating something together and not kind of creating an extractive process, for example, that when we look at it later on, we might, you know, not be super proud of that. So that's something we've been spending a lot of time on. And then internally, we've also created an equity committee. So it's a set of individuals across all of our studios um, that has, uh, you know, different, comp- the diverse composition of members and then there it's actually just been formed in the last couple of months but basically they're going to create their own priority set of action items so whether that could be like DEI trainings that the organization undertakes whether that means there's certain processes within our within the way that we work or the operational structure of our organization that we should revisit and so they're kind of going to be this almost independent body that then surfaces opportunities for our team to look at and um, is separate from our leadership team and is given some level of autonomy and independence um, as as we go to solve some of these internal structural stuff um, that we're working on internally. So it's kind of, there's a bunch of different nodes about how we're doing it. I don't think we've gotten any of it perfect yet, but but it's been a a very intentional journey for us. It's it's fascinating to hear, and especially the the structure around this having a center of gravity outside of your leadership, which feels so it's so critical for leadership to be accountable for DEI goals within any organization, but it doesn't work as a top-down approach, right? Or at least um, singularly as a top-down approach. So really fascinating to hear something. Yeah. Or to like have that team, that team could hold our leadership team accountable for the things that we say that we're going to do too, right? And then we could get judged on it. So I think there's, yeah, it makes a I'm really curious about how it plays out, but I think the the intention is exactly what you're saying, which is like, it doesn't always, top down is not going to be the approach that we want to take, but it also doesn't mean that the responsibility lies in the hands of people that are completely outside of the leadership team. And so we need to find the right balance of who owns what to really enact the change that we want to see. Right, exactly. And hold each other accountable. So I could talk to you all day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as we wrap Same up here. Our, <laughs> as we wrap up our time <laughs> together 
And just for our listeners, so you know, uh, Shallow and I have battled, I don't know, five or six tech demons that are in our system <laughs> right now. <laughs> Hopefully our listeners don't have any hint of until I've just shared that. Um, but as we found out, our time together would love to hear what what's the best part of your day. Uh, well, I have two sons. One is five and one is eight. And in the world of virtual working, virtual schooling, I have really come to appreciate when I have like a little 10 minute break in between my meetings, just going and getting a little hug and kiss from them. So before all of this, I never got those little snuggles. So I'm just really enjoying those. <laughs> oh, man, I I relate to that. I have uh, two little ones, too. And it's amazing what five minutes with them will will do for you, right? In terms of reset and reminding you what's important. And um, as parents, working parents, you know, you usually get like what? one or two hours with your kids each day, which is crazy when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nuts. It's really nuts. Silver lining of all of this wacky work environment we're all operating in. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Shalu, for giving us a little peek into your work and the amazing work that IDEO is doing. Just really grateful to have you share your stories with our listeners and, and have you on the cast today. Yeah, this was lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks so much for listening to Pro Bono Perspectives today. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out our website at commonimpact.org. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Tune in to our upcoming episodes to hear from everyday leaders using their skills to help their communities.